Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from Romans chapter 16 and verses 1 through 16. Uh, Once again, I invite you to turn there and to follow along as I read from God's holy and inspired word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Pliotus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Sachus. Greet Apallus, attested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet greet, uh, Trifunia and Trifosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes, Patrobos, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologos, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. In this closing chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, we find ourselves in the midst of a flurry of names of individuals to whom the Apostle offers his greetings, a practice that was customary for him, but at the same time, it may tempt us to scurry on in indifference because many of these folks are unknown to us. But as I said to you last time, to do so, to hurry on, would be something of a a mistake for us since we are given a deeper glimpse into the person of Paul through these verses, as well as some of the historical context of the time in which he lived. Stop to consider for a moment the extensive nature of this list, and yet this is a church Paul has never visited There are close to 30 names here. These are people with whom Paul is personally acquainted, either through his own encounters with them 
in other parts of Asia Minor or by reputation as he has gotten to know them through mutual friends and acquaintances. All of us, I think, have had those encounters where we have heard friends speak of someone they know in an entirely different context, and they speak about them so frequently that by the time we finally meet them, we feel as though we know them quite well. So we find ourselves many times saying, you know, I've heard so much about you over the years that I feel like I know you already. Well, for some of the people on this list, that was the case for the Apostle Paul. He heard of them through Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. He heard of them through John Mark, perhaps, or from another believer who came through Corinth on his way from Rome to another part of the Mediterranean. But the fact that Paul knows about these individuals and remembers their names and what they have contributed to the kingdom suggests that he has been interceding for them in regular prayer. It suggests that he has taken a particularly keen interest in what has been transpiring in Rome, and he has paid close attention to the details about the church that have been shared with him. He knows who is meeting with whom as they cluster together for worship in someone's home. And Paul's familiarity tells us that he is extremely tuned in to the spiritual condition of the churches throughout Asia Minor and beyond. Now, I can tell you about certain churches in certain cities, and I might even know a person or two in those churches. But I know of no churches where I could begin to offer a list of 30 people with whom I have had the privilege of serving the Lord in the field of mission. This is a remarkable thing here. Paul has a heart for the churches. He has a lot of experience in the trenches, and he remembers those who have served alongside him. He remembers those who came through on their way to Rome and broke bread with him in Prisca and Aquila's house. He remembers those who brought provisions and aid to him when he was hungry and in need or cold and in prison. Paul refers to many of these individuals here as beloved because they truly were. Now this should be a lesson to us to remember fellow Christians who are now serving the Lord in other places and to bring their names up before the Lord in prayer. Just think of the folks whom the Lord has brought through our doors and has then called them to new places to work and to serve. How frequently do we remember them in prayer? How frequently do we send greetings to them and remind them that they are still in our hearts and thoughts? Do we offer a word of encouragement to them from time to time and let them know that God's purposes for them are still being worked out? Paul displays for us here an attitude that should exist within the fellowship of the saints that is marked by genuine warmth and Christian love for the brother and sister in Christ. Now Paul begins this chapter by commending to the Roman Christians a woman named Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancreae. 
Phoebe was most likely the person entrusted with carrying this letter from Paul, who was in Corinth at the time, to the church in Rome. And the word he uses to describe her role in her church is diakonos. She was a deaconess there. Now one of the things that you notice in reading through this long list of names is how many women are listed here. There are many which provides us with some insight into the very prominent role that women played in the early church. Arguments are made as to whether or not these women held official roles within their church, roles that we would consider to be ordained positions. It is not my intention here to enter into that argument, but we cannot escape the admiration and genuine affection that Paul has towards these women who were invaluable in his ministry and in the thanksgiving that he displays for their contributions to the kingdom of God. Paul is frequently tagged with a misogynistic attitude towards the daughters of Eve, and yet that is completely unfair, for he speaks highly of women in far too many places like this, suggesting that he is very misunderstood in this particular area. Phoebe is one such woman. She has a servant's heart, and it has been displayed prominently in her own church. And Paul has entrusted her with this very important task of carrying his letter to the church in Rome. And he asked the believers there to embrace her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. They are to assist her in whatever way she needs, because this has been her own practice when others have come through Sincrei. In fact, she has extended great hospitality and assistance to Paul himself. Now, the meaning of the word that is translated as patron in the English Standard Version is that she has stood with others in a comforting way. She has provided a level of relief when she has noticed the needs of others whom God has sent her way. And now Paul is asking that the believers in Rome provide that same kind of comfort and assistance to Phoebe in her travels to Rome. And Paul then begins his list of greetings. And he begins with a couple who have been through more than a few battles with Paul. Prisca and Akula. Luke, in his Acts of the Apostles, introduces us to this couple, and we find that not only do they share the same faith in Christ, but like Paul, they are also tent makers. In fact, there is some good reason to believe that they engaged in this industry together for a time, and by means of this craft, Paul was able to minister in various places without being a financial burden to those whom he was seeking to reach with the gospel. Prisca and Akula were also gifted in a proper understanding of the gospel. When Apollos, a very eloquent uh, orator and presenter of the gospel, crossed paths with them in Ephesus, we find that he was a little weak when it came to his understanding of the sacrament of baptism. And when Priscilla and Akula listened to what he was saying, they took him aside and they brought him up to speed on some of these finer points that had escaped his attention. From Luke's history of the early church, we find this 
couple popping up from place to place, and we are given to understand that they were willing to travel for the sake of the gospel. And wherever they were, they extended the gift of hospitality by inviting others over to their house on the Lord's Day for the purpose of worship. And they are now, according to this letter, in Rome. And they are once again engaged in ministry by organizing a house church where some of the believers there would gather and worship and encourage one another and share with each other their bread and spiritual support as believers living under the watchful eye of the Roman emperor. Now, while they were Christian, we know that Akula was of Jewish heritage, and there was a point in time when the emperor Claudius, in the year 49, ran all of the Jews out of the city for a time. And this explains in part why it was that the two of them were in Corinth when Paul first met them. These two are very dear to Paul's heart because they've been through a great deal together. Whether it was the riot that Paul was caught up in at one point in time or perhaps another event, Paul goes so far as to say that the two of them risked their very lives for him and for this he is ever grateful. Now while Paul had moments in his ministry when others such as Barnabas and John Mark and even the Apostle Peter and Demas and others experience something of the ire that Paul was capable of expressing, we never find any tension between the Apostle and Priscilla and Akua. They had much in common in every way. And the impact that this couple made was so great that Paul indicates that all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. What a testimony that is. Like Phoebe, we find in this Christian couple much to emulate. It is a wonderful gift, I think, when a husband and wife are on the same page in regards to the gospel and in their passion and enthusiasm to reach others with it. When they have a desire to see others come to Christ such that they are willing to go anywhere at any time, to open their home with warm hospitality, to invite others into the sanctuary of that space, to share in a meal and to engage in the study of God's Word and to provide some encouragement and help to ease the burden of another, it is a most blessed thing. And when they have, for a lifetime, offered that kind of ministry to whomever God leads their way, it is no wonder that all the churches of the Gentiles would give thanks for them. Paul then mentions Epinetus, who now lives in Rome and gathers with the believers there, but has the distinction of being the first convert in Asia. Now, he's not speaking of the continent of Asia, but Asia as a region in the far western portion of what we know as Turkey. And while we have no mention anywhere else of Epinetus in the Scriptures, he is remembered here as the first convert, or the first fruits, as it's phrased, in that part of the world. And by stating it that way, the implication would be that a greater harvest is coming, and it eventually did. 
What's interesting about this is that when Paul and Silas and Timothy traveled from Lystra to Troas on the Apostles' second missionary journey, we read in Acts chapter 16, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now that may mean that on a very long journey, Paul and Silas never once mentioned the gospel to anyone they met along the way, which seems to me to be very difficult to believe. Or it may mean that as they traveled through these portions of northwest Turkey, there was no outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the region, such that they never paused for the purpose of planting a new church. But I wonder if Apanatus did respond to the gospel during that missionary journey, making him quite memorable, only to become more memorable when Paul eventually returned to this portion of the world on his third journey, establishing a ministry in Ephesus where he preached and taught for a period of two years. And we then read in the book of Acts later that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And perhaps Epinetos was instrumental in that expansion. I still remember the first person that I ever introduced to Christ about 52 years ago. In fact, I gave her flowers and a Mother's Day card this morning. Are you with me? I remind her frequently of the role that I played in her eternal salvation. (laughs) But for some strange reason, she does not thank me endlessly for that. But Paul sends greetings to Mary, whose distinct identity is unknown to us. I suppose it would be a little like somebody saying to you, tell Bob hello for me when you return to the church in Roanoke and You might think that they mean me, but then you might wonder if they meant me or Bob Hartman or Bob Collis or Bob Broyles or some other Bob in the church. In this case, Paul seems to believe that they will know who he means because she has done much to minister in their midst. And then we come to another couple. At least the earliest commentators took this to be a couple, Andronicus and Hunia. Uh, whom Paul describes as his kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. And we ascertain from this that they were well known throughout the wider church for their ministry, and Paul indicates that they are notable among the apostles and that they believed before he himself believed. One of the things that we know is that there were other apostles in the early church, and by that I mean that there were those who were recognized as being messengers of the first order. Individuals who were there at the beginning, perhaps in that crowd of 500 witnesses Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, to whom the resurrected Lord presented himself alive. Individuals who could personally testify to Christ's resurrection from the dead. And perhaps then we're also part of the 120 believers endowed with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and were instrumental in the spread of the gospel from village to village across Judea and Samaria and beyond. We know that the 
12 apostles whom Jesus personally selected held a most prominent place in the early church, but we also know that Barnabas is referred to as an apostle, though he was not among the twelve. James, the brother of Jesus, prominent head of the church in Jerusalem, is referred to as an apostle, though he was not among the twelve. Paul is an apostle, and we find other references to apostles in the lists of gifts provided to the church. There are those who are denounced as being false apostles, which would indicate that there were some who were taking on the mantle of authority themselves, not in the sense that they were trying to pass themselves off as an impersonator of Peter or John or Matthew, but rather that they were claiming to be among this wider group of apostles authorized to speak among the churches. And here Paul is sending his greetings to Andronicus and Hunia, who were among those who were genuine apostles, notable in fact. And we may have some clue as to their notoriety when Paul refers to them as his fellow prisoners, suggesting that they were so much in the thick of things that like Paul they were placed in prison for a time because of the unrest that followed whenever they declared the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. Now I wonder if we are beginning to understand something deeper about this gospel that we find so elegantly described throughout this letter to the Romans. Do we comprehend the impact that this message had upon the lives of so many different people? An impact that was so great that people like Phoebe were willing to share themselves completely with people they barely knew for the sake of introducing them to Jesus. An impact that was so great that people like Priscilla and Aquila were willing to leave here and go there because they heard that those folks there needed help. An impact that was so great that people like Andronicus and Unia were willing to suffer imprisonment for the gospel because they were among those who had seen the resurrected Christ, were willing to bet their lives on his messianic claims. Has this gospel taken hold of us like this? Or have we gotten only close enough that we feel comforted by it, but not so close as to feel discomforted by it? And you see, that's part of the issue. For the gospel to be truly effective in our lives, we must come to the place where it first discomforts us. We need to come to that place where it causes us to question the direction our life is taking and ask ourselves if this is where Jesus wants me to go or is this simply the direction I want to go. We need to come to the place where the gospel causes us to take a serious inventory of our life and face our sin in such a way that it results in genuine repentance, giving up those things that please the flesh but destroy the Spirit. The folks that Paul greets here are individuals who have been affected by the gospel to such a degree that they have been willing to bear the cross of Christ. One of the persons Paul greets is Rufos, 
Most of us are probably not familiar with him. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who, it is commonly believed, wrote his Gospel for the Gentiles in Rome. And in his Gospel, he speaks of Simon, the Cyrene, who was conscripted on the day of Christ's crucifixion to help carry the cross of Jesus when the Lord could no longer bear the weight of it up Calvary's hill because he was so physically tortured that there was no longer enough energy in him to do so. And Mark describes in his gospel this Simon as being the father of Alexander and Rufos. And Paul is now sending his greetings to Rufos, whose father helped the Lord Jesus on the day of atonement. Can you imagine the impact that Simon had upon his boys in the aftermath of the resurrection. Paul sends greetings to all those who have had a share in carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me, not once, but daily. And so what we find here is a list of those beloved saints, all of whom have borne the cross of Christ in one way or another. Which leads to the question, how has the cross affected you? What changes have occurred in your life because of it? And do you see yourself giving in a new way because of it? Do you see yourself going places you would never go because of it? Do you find yourself opening up your heart to people you would never welcome otherwise? But because of the love that Christ has put in your heart, it has made you into a new person, concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. Such is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one whom we are called to serve. And Paul then says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It was customary for people to greet one another this way. You will remember that this was the sign that Judas Iscariot utilized to betray the Lord Jesus to the authorities on the night of Christ's arrest. And Paul is advocating here a common practice, but one that has been sanctified by the redemptive love of Christ. The believers are to display their genuine affection for one one another whenever they meet. This holy kiss being a constant reminder to them of the depth of their relationship to Christ as well as to one another. And if it is practiced regularly, it makes it very hard to harbor hurt feelings or to continue in any discord For a failure to share a kiss upon greeting one another is a clue that something is amiss and can be quickly addressed. And then he says, all the churches of Christ greet you. Here is a word designed to strengthen the ties within the body of Christ, which was steadily growing across the continent and beyond. As Paul is escorting the offering that was made by the Gentile churches to Jerusalem for their financial relief, he wants the church in Rome to know 
that his own desire to spend time with the believers there is shared by so many others who are unable to do so. But it does not change the fact that they feel connected with the saints everywhere. And here is an affirmation for establishing fraternal relationships across denominational lines, reminding ourselves and others that gospel believers are in this enterprise together and that it isn't just us, but all around the world, God has disciples like these in Rome laboring for the sake of the kingdom. Let us never forget that the church, the bride of Christ, is wide and there are saints everywhere. Let us stop here for today and let me invite you to bow your heads with me that we might pray together for a moment.